0: Oh, good morning everybody. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good. Excellent. So uh, before we get into Nehemiah's building project today, I want to say a few words about our own building project that is upcoming. And uh, hopefully you got a letter that looks something like this in the mail from me this week. Probably arrived yesterday, at least that's when mine arrived at my box. So I uh, hope you will take the time to read that and let us know if you have any questions. We're excited to announce a uh, congregational meeting coming up two weeks from today. March 5th and uh, uh, that letter gives all the details about that if you don't get our letters that means you're not on the mailing list we'd love to add you to that just uh, uh, let us know on the communication card your address and that you're not getting our mail and we would love you to to stay connected like that so the elders are recommending moving forward on our facility expansion project we look forward to sharing more about that with you but the explanation is in the letter One significant factor we weighed in making that decision, we've been looking at all options for the last five weeks or so. Uh, We received over $200,000 in new pledges and gifts over the last five weeks, and that's one of the many uh, things that we've been weighing and uh, we want to share with you uh, in the upcoming meeting. So please read the letter, come to the uh, meeting, come to the town hall meetings as well if you have questions. So the congregational meeting itself is March 5th, two weeks from today. There's a couple of town hall meetings, kind of Q&A times, and we'll share a little bit more of the details on Tuesday, February 28th at 7 o'clock, and Saturday, March 4th at 7.30. That's right after the Saturday night service. And I uh, just want to invite you to take advantage of all of those and be praying about all of this as we head toward this uh, big decision on March 5th. So we are back in the book of Nehemiah this morning. And the title I've given to Nehemiah chapter 2 is How to Tackle a Tough Job. How to Tackle a Tough Job. And the reason we're talking about this is because Nehemiah is a fantastic example for all of us. About how to tackle the tough assignments that we find ourselves facing in life. So I'd encourage you to pull out your sermon notes or download your notes on your app right now. Because I want to start by asking you to jot down what comes to your mind when you think about a tough assignment or a tough job in your life. Maybe it's starting a new job, literally a new job, or maybe it's taking on some new responsibilities in life. Maybe it's getting along with somebody, maybe a supervisor, or a teacher, or someone that sort of seems unfair. Maybe it's losing a friend or a loved one, or repairing a relationship that's been damaged. Maybe it's this deployment that's sort of hanging out there you know you're heading into, or maybe it's raising kids, or living with a difficult person, or working through some conflict. Perhaps it's something else altogether. Just jot yourself a note to say this is kind of what came to my mind as I thought about this title, How to Tackle a Tough Job. Nehemiah gives us some great principles that can help us to thrive and to experience God's favor, God's blessing in the midst of challenging times. So, uh, also please turn with me in your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 2. If you uh, find the book of Psalms, the big one, sort of in the middle, and back up three books, that's where Nehemiah is located. Or if you're grabbing the Bible on the chair in front of you, it's page 398, and that'll help you follow along greatly. By way of review, I want to remind you what we saw in Nehemiah chapter 1. It's been a couple of weeks since we were there. Nehemiah, the man, was a Jewish man living over in the ancient land of Persia. He was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. And that means his job was tasting the food and tasting the wine before the king did to make sure that the food and wine wasn't poisoned. So he was kind of like a secret service agent in his day. But in that culture, he was also a trusted advisor to the king. So this was a position of great trust and great influence. And one day, excuse me, Nehemiah learned that his people, the Jews over in Jerusalem, were suffering greatly. They were in a bad situation. They were few in number. First of all, they were surrounded by many enemies. The city wall was broken down in ruins, and they were absolutely demoralized. It was a bad situation. You say, well, so what? What's, What's the deal with all of that? Well, since Nehemiah was a Jew, and since he understood that Jerusalem is the epicenter of the world from God's perspective, he was deeply distressed by this news. And in Nehemiah 1:4, we notice five action verbs that sort of summarized his response. It says that he sat down, he was physically affected, he, he wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. And the rest of Nehemiah chapter 1 summarize his prayers. It's a threefold prayer that he offered. He he worshiped God, first of all, he acknowledged who God is and worshipped God's greatness. He then asked God to forgive them for their sins. And he asked God for a solution to their problems. And as we come to chapter two now, this is, understand, this is the answer, the beginning of the answer to his prayers. We're going to see here seven reasons, seven, excuse me, seven lessons about how to tackle a tough job. And here's the first one we need to wait for the right timing when we're facing a tough job. Chapter 2 begins with a chronological note that, when compared to Nehemiah 1.1, shows that four months have elapsed between the time Nehemiah heard about the problem in chapter 1 and the opportunity he gets to talk to the king about it. Here's Nehemiah 2.1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. I like the way the Living Bible puts it. It emphasizes the waiting period. It says this in verse 1, On one day in April, four months later, as I was serving the king his wine. And the question is sometimes asked, why this long, why this four-month delay? Some have suggested that since Persian kings have cupbearers that sort of rotate through, serve in rotation, that this is a time that Nehemiah simply wasn't on duty. And so he finally got to serve the king again. Others speculate that the king was absent from Susa. He was perhaps um, wintering in one of his other palaces. Or better yet, maybe Nehemiah was waiting on God to answer his prayer and give him the right opportunity to speak to the king about this matter. Whatever the case, I believe this. The prayer that we looked at in Nehemiah 1 was not a one-shot deal. It's a summary of what Nehemiah prayed over and over and over again over those four months. Waiting is hard. That's what I want to think about with you for just a minute. It's hard to wait sometimes. It's hard when you feel like God's put me on hold. I'm just in this holding pattern. And our story from Nehemiah reminds us that delays are not necessarily God's denials big difference but four months can seem like a long time to wait for some response from God to something you've been asking for perhaps Nehemiah had even come to the place where he's begun to wonder is it ever gonna happen am I ever gonna have an opportunity to do anything about this problem that's on my heart and whether Nehemiah realized it or not God was at work he was at work in the king's heart but he was also at work in Nehemiah's heart. While Nehemiah prayed over the weeks and the months, his burden for Jerusalem was growing greater and his vision for what needed to be done there became clearer. And while most of us hate to wait for things, it's important for us to understand it's awfully important at times to wait, especially when we devote ourselves to prayer. That's the first thing. Here's the second key about how to tackle a tough job we need to step out in courageous action. We need to step out in courageous action. If you want to accomplish something very difficult, it often requires courage. Verse 1 continues like this I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Notice that last sentence, then I was very much afraid, and for good reason. You see, in those days, it was a capital crime to be sad in the presence of a king. Kings didn't want downers around them. They didn't want anybody raining on their parade, and so that was the law. If you frowned in the presence of the king, you could have your head cut off. Okay. If you were depressed in the presence of the king, you were done. Okay. Notice he says, now I had not been sad in his presence. So I believe this was a real gamble that Nehemiah was taking. Some people think Nehemiah sort of accidentally let down his guard this day and showed sadness in the presence of the king. Others... Interpret this as a calculated decision that Nehemiah made to introduce his concern to the king. And I'm in the latter, have the latter view. I agree with uh, John White who wrote this. He said, if Nehemiah, unhappy but smiling for four months, one day allows his face to slip, I conclude that he does so deliberately. And if he does so deliberately, I also conclude that he has prayerfully decided that a sad face will be the best way of introducing his request to the king." Think about that. Palace protocol demands the king's servants always be happy before him. And so this probably was a terrifying experience for him. Something like a hang glider stepping off a bluff or a rock climber stepping backwards that first step off of a cliff while on belay. I've never done any hang gliding, but. I did a little bit of uh, uh, rope work on blay and I knew the guy down below me who was holding on to the rope had me, but but still. Um, I remember how my stomach was right up there in my throat and it was terrifying, especially the first time. And I think that's something like Nehemiah must have felt. In fact, he admits, I was very much afraid. Understand courage is moving forward in spite of fear. And I want you to see how he did that in verse 3. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So there's this myth that leaders are never afraid. Yeah, Not so. Courage is moving ahead in spite of fear. I want you to notice what Nehemiah did with his fear. He sort of set it aside and he spoke up anyway, even though he knew it it might cost him his life. He knew this was his chance to present his plan to the king, and so he goes for it. We must act boldly in faith, even when we're afraid. Nehemiah was afraid, but his faith was greater than his fear. He believed the promises of God and God gave him both the courage and the words to move forward he says I want to honor the burial place of my fathers and that was an approach that touched the heart of King Artaxerxes for that was a Persian custom God had prepared the way for Nehemiah giving him the wisdom and the information and the understanding to touch the heart of the king to step out in faith with courageous action Here's a third key about how to tackle a tough job. We need to carefully develop our plan. Carefully develop a plan. The the whole chapter really shows that Nehemiah has done a lot of advanced planning and thinking. Verse 4 says this, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. First notice that phrase, I prayed to the God of heaven. He sends up this little quickie, short prayer. This is not a reference to the four months of prayer. He's already done that. This is a silent, speedy, on-the-spot prayer. God, give me the right words. Help me know what to say to the king. And the king says to him, well, what do you want? You're obviously upset. How can I help? So Nehemiah says, send me to Jerusalem and let me rebuild the city with your authority. Amazingly, the king's like, sure, how long do you want to be gone for? Friends, that was the favor of God on him. That was the hand of God. But where did Nehemiah get that boldness? We talked about this a few weeks ago. He he got the boldness in the reality that God's word promised. If my people turn back to me, I will send you back to the land and I will let you rebuild there and so really what brought about the boldness that Nehemiah had that day was the promises of God's Word Nehemiah had been praying for four months he'd been praying and waiting for something to happen and now something happens question what else had been happening during those four months while he was praying and waiting on God I believe he was planning And we know that by the way he responded to the king when the king said, what do you want? Nehemiah knew exactly what to ask for when he got his chance. Proverbs thirteen sixteen says, A wise man plan, uh, thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and even brags about it. And that's what Nehemiah did. He was thinking ahead. He was praying, certainly, for four months, but he was also planning and thinking it through. And the three things that Nehemiah asks for that we see in this chapter are evidence of good planning. First, Nehemiah asked the king for permission, for permission to go and repair the ruins of Jerusalem. And that was a daring request because that was a gigantic task. I mean, what if he failed? But God had placed this burden in the heart of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was confident that the God who gave him the burden would also enable him to accomplish it. Verses 5 and 6 talk about that. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servants have found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Before granting permission, the king inquires how long this is going to take. How long do you think he'll be gone? Obviously, he wants Nehemiah to come back. He valued Nehemiah greatly, it appears to me. And so, Nehemiah sets a time for his return. And the king says, permission granted. That's the first thing, permission. The next thing he asks for is for protection. Nehemiah asked the king for protection, specifically letters. That's Verse 7. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the Jordan. Excuse me, beyond the river. uh, That they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. So he's asking him for letters of protection to pass safely through all of these Persian provinces uh, beyond the Euphrates River. Numerous provinces governed by Persian governors ruled by Persian, by, by Persia by King Artaxerxes himself. So it's an 800 to 1,000 mile journey, something like that, from Susa the capital over to Jerusalem. And He's got to go through all these provinces and you didn't travel freely in those days. You had to have your papers in order. So we asked for letters to, of permission to go and protection. And the third request was for provision, specifically for a letter addressed to Asaph. That's verse 8. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah wanted to get timber, wood from the king's forest to construct the wall, to construct the gates, and to construct a house for himself in Jerusalem. A very practical request, a practical mind of Nehemiah at work. During those four months of waiting and praying, Nehemiah was also busy planning and thinking through the details. And when the king gave him his blessing, his permission, Nehemiah knew that the reason was God alone. And so off he goes, excited as could be. Another important part of tackling a tough job is being prepared for difficulties. That's verses 9 and 10. He was prepared for difficulties. He was prepared for all possibilities. He wasn't naive. He knew that just because God uh, was giving him a plan and permission to carry it out, it wasn't necessarily going to be easy. And so he was well prepared for the problems that might come up. Verse 9 puts it like this. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. So the king offered to do even more than Nehemiah asked for. He not only sent the letters of protection, he also sent along his soldiers and horsemen to guard him and help him. And things are going well for Nehemiah at this point. And in verse 10 we learn that he comes face to face with some challenging characters. Take note of them in verse 10. Verse 10 says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Not a whole lot different than today. People today still don't like it when people seek the welfare of Israel, it seems. So, Nehemiah must have been welcomed to Jerusalem by Ezra the priest and others. The text is strangely silent about that but it does mention these enemies of the Jews who heard about his arrival. And I want you to notice these two men well because we're gonna see them repeatedly in our study of Nehemiah. They're gonna oppose Nehemiah and the Jewish people because of their bitter animosity toward them. They're gonna oppose them repeatedly. We come now to a fifth key to tackling a tough assignment. And that is to gather accurate facts, get good information. Nehemiah didn't plunge immediately into the work. He didn't even tell everyone immediately why he was there. He, it appears to me he rests a few days from the long journey, and then he begins to gather the facts that he needs. You see, without an accurate assessment of the conditions, you, you, it's impossible to make a good decision. If you're going to succeed in a tough situation, you have to look honestly at the facts. Let's read about that in verses 11 to 13. So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. In other words, it was kind of a quiet, stealth midnight ride. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate... I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. So he's talking about where he went that night on his inspection tour. I'm just guessing that the dung gate was probably not a real popular part of Jerusalem in that day. (laughs) Probably not where you wanted to build your house if you had a choice. Okay, just saying. Let's continue, verse 14. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So Nehemiah sets out, he inspects things carefully to make an accurate assessment of the situation. You know, before a financial planner can help a person develop a solid financial plan, he must first gather accurate facts. Things like, how much debt do you have? What kind of income sources do you have? Uh, What expenses do you have? And then he can set forward a solid financial plan. Before a career coach can develop a wise plan for somebody, they must gather accurate facts about what kind of abilities and strengths and skills a person has, what kind of interests do you have, what kind of goals do you have in your life. And likewise, Nehemiah set out to get an accurate assessment of the facts about the condition of the city. I read a great story this week about how easy it is to sort of spin the facts and uh, give a bad assessment of the facts. It's a story about a company that held this annual inter office softball party between the marketing department and the support staff, the admin department. And one year, the support staff whipped the marketing department rather soundly. And so the marketing department was sort of taking heat for losing their big game that year, taking it on the chin. So one of the spin doctors, someone from the marketing department, sort of published this report about the game. Here's what they wrote up and put on the bulletin board. He's, the marketing department is pleased to announce that we came in second place in the recent softball season, after losing but one game all year. The support department, however, had a rather dismal season, winning only one game. <laughs> you know, whether it's about softball or even something a little more important, you need an accurate assessment of the facts, and Nehemiah got that done. That's one of the things that helped him succeed. After doing all of his homework, he goes to the city council and he gives an accurate report to them. And the sixth key to tackling a tough job is sharing your plans with those who can help. It was the former president of Columbia University who once said, there are three kinds of people in the world. Those who don't know what's happening, those who watch what's happening, and those who make things happen. And Nehemiah was clearly in that third category. There was no more time for weeping and mourning. Remember the Israelites repeatedly had tried to rebuild this city and rebuild the city walls before, and they'd given up repeatedly. But not this time. Verse 17 says this. It says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. Words of challenge and words of encouragement. He exhorted the people to action, reminding them that God's hand had been upon him, and therefore God was in their project. He also affirmed to them that he was acting on the authority of the king himself. So, how did the people respond? Verse 18, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Let us arise and build. Well, that brings us to the final thing we see in our text today. The seventh and final key to tackling a tough job is to be ready to respond to opposition ready for opposition anytime you try to do something significant for God there's gonna be opposition the enemy will see to that it never fails and there was direct criticism of Nehemiah's plan look at verses 19 and 20 but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it they jeered at us and despised us and said what is this thing that you are doing are you rebelling against the king Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah ran into exactly the same problem that Ezra had run into years earlier. There were enemies there. There was opposition to deal with. The people of the surrounding nations mocked them and opposed them. And immediately fear became a factor to deal with. And I love how Nehemiah stepped up to the plate and responded decisively. It may have been a a long time since the folks in Jerusalem had someone that stood up to their enemies. It might have been a long time since they had been reminded that they belonged to God and Jerusalem was God's city. It was their city. And they heard Nehemiah's claims and they were stirred by his courage. I want to summarize the chapter with four truths, four important principles for today, and these are on your notes as well. Here's the first principle. Praying and waiting go hand in hand. There are going to be times in your life where you're praying and you're asking God for something, and it just seems like it's taking a long, long time. Praying and waiting go hand in hand. You've never really prayed until you've learned to wait in prayer and to wait in faith. Until you've learned to let God take care of changing the heart that you can't change. Let God take care of the heart of the king, so to speak, for God alone can do that. You know, every one of us has to deal with authority figures in our life. Be it a king or a commanding officer or a boss or a supervisor or a teacher or board of directors or a ministry leader or the government, a parent, a husband, what whatever. And sometimes we look at that person in authority over us and we feel like it's impossible they're never going to change. We have to learn to rightly respond to people in authority over us and to wait while we trust God to change their heart. Proverbs 21:1 is a powerful truth for us to claim. It says, "The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord." He turns it wherever he wishes. Channels of water here refers to irrigation ditches that run from reservoirs to the dry, thirsty flatlands that need water to live. Irrigation canals are very common in in Israel even today. Perhaps you've seen those kind of irrigation canals over in eastern Washington or some other arid part of the country. Typically, they, they use series of canals and valves and gates or maybe a ditch rider with a, a shovel who, who changes where the water goes from one uh, canal to the other, to the right place, to the right field. How many of you have ever heard of a ditch rider or seen a ditch rider? few of you have. When we lived in Colorado a number of years ago, we owned three acres of land uh, that had four irrigation canals running across it. Of course, that was great fun for our kids who were young and growing up. uh, But these uh, canals were there because we lived in the high desert, and on the uh, the mesa above us, there were 250 reservoirs, and the canals went all over the uh, countryside, bringing the water down to the apple orchards and the fields below. So uh, ditch riders and ditches were super common there. And our church happened to be right next door to the water office, the water commissioner's office. And Dick, the water commissioner, was a friend from church. And uh, he told a lot of stories to me over the coffee breaks that we had over the years about uh, ditch riders and water fights and actually people who got killed over water rights in that area. So definitely a different part of the world in Western Washington where we don't suffer a lack of water usually. So what does Proverbs 21.1 tell us about getting along with our superiors and about God's role? It reminds us that the same heart that breathes out decisions is in God's hand. In other words, God is sovereignly control of them. Nehemiah just happened to work for the king of Persia. And there's a saying that goes like this. Don't try to change it. It's, it's like the law of the Medes and the Persians. In other words, it's impossible to change. See, King Artaxerxes had a reputation and Nehemiah knew it. And so he waited and he prayed and God went to work on his behalf. Friend, what is true of kings is true of the authorities in your life today. God has their heart in his hand and he can turn it, he can bend it however he wants. So pause momentarily and sort of rivet that thought in your heart right now. Nehemiah was waiting in prayer because he knew that that was the best way, really the only way, for the king's heart to be changed. In fact, back in Nehemiah 1.11, he prayed this. He said, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah knew that the same king, just years previous to that, had, had, had made a royal decree that made it illegal to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So he was on the at the mercy of God to change the king's heart. That's God's work. God is a heart specialist. Give him a chance to do his job. Waiting and praying is our part of the equation. Here's principle number 2. Courage is foundational to success. Courage Is foundational to success. Remember how afraid Nehemiah was when the king recognized his sadness? What did he do though? He went right ahead and he asked the king for permission to go to Jerusalem and rebuild it. How did Nehemiah get that courage? I want to mention another example to answer that. An example of a courageous man that actually Gus brought to our men's class a couple of weeks ago. Thank you, Gus it's general Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. You remember that Joshua and Caleb were two of the spies Moses sent into the promised land to spy it out and the, these two men came back with the faith to go in and conquer the land. They were the ones who said with God's help we can take it. However, later on when after Moses had died and general Joshua was in command, he was afraid. He was looking across the Jordan River at Jericho, that big walled city, and he knew they were in for the fight of their lives. Listen to what God said to him. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In fact, God told Joshua that very same thing three times in the space of five verses, and right in the midst of that in Joshua chapter 1, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, right in the midst of that, repeating that, he says, for this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. The principle is courage is moving ahead in spite of fear. And courage is obeying God's Word, even when we don't see how it could all turn out. Beloved, if you want God's blessing in your life, you must learn to do that. And the way to do that is to be in God's Word day and night, meditating on it, claiming His promises, and learning to follow it carefully. Friend, what fears are you facing today? Maybe it's some big change that's coming your way. Maybe it's some new responsibility or maybe it's a conflict that you know you're going to have to work through. Maybe it's the fear of serving the Lord in some new ministry or opportunity. Uh, Maybe it's just stepping up to be the spiritual leader that you know God calls you to be. Whatever the fear, with God's help you can act with courage courage and have his success here's the third principle we need to remember faith is not a substitute for careful planning faith is not a substitute for careful planning you understand that God honors organization and planning praying and faith are essential but so is careful planning some people seem to regard uh, a faith as sort of an excuse not to plan the old Revolutionary War soldiers used to have a saying, it's trust in God, but keep your powder dry. I like that. In other words, we need to trust God to do His part, but we also have a responsibility. We need to be diligent to do our part. Yes, God honors faith, but He also honors it when we do the hard work of careful planning. Both are necessary. In fact, Proverbs 16:9 says, we should make our plans counting on the Lord to direct us. Finally, here's number four. Opposition is to be expected when we do God's work. Don't be surprised if people don't get excited about what God puts on your heart to do. Even when you are following God's will, it doesn't mean everything is going to go smoothly and effortlessly. In fact, it usually doesn't, I've noticed. It's much easier to ridicule and to oppose someone than to see through eyes of faith. And that's why I love Nehemiah. He's a great example of right where many of us find ourselves today. When he was afraid, he asked God for the right words to speak to the king. When he faced financial needs, he asked the king for provision. He was willing to step out in faith, but he also thought carefully through the challenges that he might face, and he made careful plans. And he's a great example to us, an encouragement to us today. So let's talk about some application, three next steps. First one, identify a tough job you need to tackle today. Maybe you wrote that down at the beginning of my message, uh, maybe, but maybe something else came to your mind as I was talking today, or maybe an impossible person came to mind that, came, that you wanna just jot down or put some initials down to remind you what you're uh, thinking through today. That's number one. Next step, number two, identify the principles that you need to embrace. We just talked about four principles that come out of our text. And you can just jot down a one or a two or a three or four, whatever God seems to be saying to you today. Maybe it's, I need to tackle this job with courage, God's courage, whatever. Write down one of those. And then please turn that into prayer. Turn it into a prayer by asking God to help you. And we're going to do that now as we go to the Lord in prayer. So please bow with me. Father God, you are the great and awesome God. The same God that Nehemiah prayed to in his day. You are faithful. You are a covenant-keeping God. You keep your promises. And Father, we thank you for this amazing story of Nehemiah. So familiar, I think, to many of us. We've read it over the years. But what a powerful example of your sovereignty. What a great story of how you used him, how you provided for him, how you uh, protected him, how your good hand was upon him. And Father, I pray for your blessing and your provision on us as a church family as we have this building project before us. God, may you guide us and provide for us, and may you receive the glory and the honor. I pray for us individually today, Father. We have tough jobs and challenging assignments that you've put before us. God, would you grow us firm in our faith in your word, and would you give us the courage to act in faith and obedience? Father, maybe there's someone here today that hasn't taken that first step of faith to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Friend, if that's you, I offer, I close with this invitation prayer. You can just pray silently in your heart of hearts if this is your desire today to receive God's forgiveness and begin a relationship with him by faith. Just say something like this, Father, I I need your forgiveness. I've sinned against you, and I confess I can't Overcome that by being a good person. I need your forgiveness through faith in Christ. I I put my faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for me today. And I receive that gift of faith by faith today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and for your work in our lives. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Thank you.